Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey there, everybody from KQED Public Radio. This is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. And today on The Breakdown, we sit down with a former congresswoman from Southern California who was part of the 2018 blue wave that flipped the House blue until her resignation less than a year later. That's right. Katie Hill is going to be with us. She stepped down after revelations of a relationship with the campaign staffer were revealed in right-wing media, part of what she calls in her new book, A Coordinated Attack and Online Exploitation Orchestrated by Her Ex-Husband. We'll have her in just a few minutes, Scott, but I think you might have heard we had a little bit of news this week that related to one high-profile Californian. That would be Miss Kamala Harris. That would be Miss Kamala Harris. We know her well, uh, and uh, it was sort of a well-kept secret and not a surprise. Uh, I was sort of thinking it might be Susan rice but boy but you've been uh, saying that forever yeah but i in the end i was close to being right <laughs> you were, came you were. Down to her closer than i expected the two of them yeah no you know i think this has been from the democrats perspective a really successful rollout the republicans uh, have had a really hard time going after her in any kind of a coordinated consistent way uh, she's being attacked on the left in some ways for not being liberal enough and then she's being attacked on the right for being a cop which is weird uh and uh you know it's so it's i think they just she has she has proved elusive as a target for them <laughs> and i think uh you know that rollout although it was weird with the mask and no audience and you know all that uh socially distanced photographs uh, it, it went well i think you'd have to say that uh, it was a good pick uh if the goal as i think it is uh is for them to win in november Right. I mean, from a purely logistical standpoint, they got to make the announcement, right? Like nobody broke it um, the way it's happened many years, you know, many times before. Um, and I think you're right that, you know, it's it's almost weird and like for politicians on both sides, you feel a little bad for them when they're giving these rousing speeches in front of a room full of silent reporters. <laughs> it's like so bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think it's like the Trump campaign. It's they're They're both hitting her for, you know, and Joe Biden for like, Antifa and also that she's a, a cop. I mean, the Federalist Society put out a T-shirt. Um, so I think you're right. And, and it's funny because that's something that sometimes I think was a negative for her when she was the candidate herself or the main candidate, which is that what is she? How do you pin her down? In some ways, it seems like it's working um, to her advantage. And I got to say, being here in California, like everyone here, even people who have sparred with her in the past, on the Democratic side at least, seemed so happy this week. Yeah, well, and she is the first California Democrat to be at the top of a major party ticket. There's a lot of speculation already uh, as to who Gavin Newsom is going to pick to replace her. But what I find interesting, too, is it seems like lessons have been learned since 2016. 
from women's groups and others and sort of holding the media accountable in terms of how they're portraying her as a person, as a candidate, uh, the descriptions they're using to describe her. I think uh, I, I think it's it progress in the sense that a lot of the, you know, we saw during the vice presidential um you know, kind of discussions that were going on, people criticizing one for not smiling enough and another for being too tough. I think the media are kind of on notice a little bit this time around mm -hmm. that they're going to be called on it if they try to hold women, in this case Kamala Harris, to a different standard than they hold men. Yeah. And I mean, she had that great line in her acceptance saying, you know, that she stands on the shoulders of the women before her ambitious women and yeah. she smiled a little. And I think <laughs> that that is part of this is like women reclaiming some of this language and being like, we are going, you know, we're going to own our ambition, which is never used in a bad way to talk about male politicians. I think our guests might have a little bit to say about this in a minute. Among um, other things, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Scott, you know, this comes obviously just a few days, well, I guess a week before the DNC starts, um, our first, you know, all Zoom uh, conventions. Four years ago, Marisa, we were in Philly. It was so hot. Kamala was holding your baby. Diego. She was. <laughs> There's a picture on, on Twitter of that. Um, but it is interesting. You know, I, I was sort of joking last night in an interview. I said, is this the end of political conventions and why should I be sad? Um, but it does feel like this is a real, it, it's going to be a different kind of scene entirely and, and a much shorter one, right? Totally. And I think the people, uh, say, on the left, the Bernie Sanders, uh, Elizabeth Warren, group a little disappointed they won't have more of an opportunity to kind of get their message out there and push their issues like medicare for all in person it's going to be very different and i think as a reporter you know i really remember that first day the breakfast where alex badia the secretary of state was really surrounded by sanders supporters and it gave us a visceral sense of the divisions that still existed between the hillary group and the sanders group and that played out as we saw you know, up until November, we're going to miss that kind of thing. I'm not saying that those divisions still exist, but I'm, you know, the point is you, when you see those things in person, you, you really get a different sense of it. Yeah, it's true. I mean, we'll still be watching. We're going to hear from Michelle Obama, Governor Gavin Newsom, Nancy Pelosi, our hometown uh, congresswoman and, you know, speaker. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's going to be kind of fascinating to see how they try to bring some of the excitement. You know, usually you see a bump for both parties right after uh, the convention. Um, although I will say, you know, they're shortening it from what, five hours a night to two. Maybe that's a good thing. Like who has five hours a night to watch yeah. this stuff? Well, nowadays we all do, but. <laughs> well, right, but I guess <laughs> but it's I still even. The point is, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can make it interesting and they're going to, I'm sure they'll have a lot of, uh, you know, pre-produced videos with some entertainment and music. Uh, it's going to be tough. I mean, I thought that the video that Obama and Biden did where they sat down, you know, and had that conversation was kind of maybe a bit of a model for what they might be yeah. able to do. Uh, some creative thinking in terms of uh, the digital stuff they're going to offer up. But we'll see. Uh, yeah, but I think two hours of that is more than enough. Plenty, plenty, even for us junkies. All right. We will have plenty more to talk about next week around the DNC. But for now, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll be joined by former Southern California Congresswoman Katie Hill. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. 
Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer, and we are thrilled to welcome Katie Hill. She was elected to Congress at age 31, flipping a longtime GOP seat blue. She resigned last fall after nude photos of her with a campaign staffer leaked to right-wing media. She's now suing over those photos and working to get more women elected, and she has a new book out, and I think a podcast coming with it. It's called She Will Rise. Katie Hill, welcome to The Breakdown. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. We're excited too. You may not remember this, but we were actually scheduled to interview you last October, I think 16th in DC. Um, you did not, you had to cancel. Um, and the next day the story broke in red That's state. probably why I canceled, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Would have been good for um, us if you talked to us, but. <laughs> no, and we're um, very happy to now reconnect um, and, and talk to you. It has been quite a, gosh, not even a year um, since then, nine months or so. But let's go back to that a little bit, because that week must have been awful for you. Um, can you tell us as much as you're comfortable reflecting, like how, how did things unfold with that, that whole week? How did things go for you? So I think to, um, you know, to give it justice, I've got to go back a little bit further even. And I talk about this in, in the book a lot. But my, uh, I had tried to leave my ex-husband um, before the election even happened. And when I did, he said that if you leave, I'll ruin you. Um, and I really, you know, I, I, I went back because of that, but I couldn't stay that long. I just, it just was impossible for me. And so by June, I did leave. I left, you know, I left for real. Um, and uh, I knew, you know, I knew that the threat was was there, but I really honestly thought that, you know, this is the person that I'd been with since I was 16 years old. Um, I thought that, you know, there was still some level of, of trust that I could have. Um, but we started getting hearing some rumors that he had been shopping around the, you know, photos and, um, and other stuff. Um, and so, you know, I, I just was in a denial, right? I just, I was like, there's no way, there's no way that, you know, anyone's actually going to publish nude photos of, of a congresswoman either. Um, but uh, sure enough, they did. And, and he did. And so, you know, it must've been the, it really must've been the day before the red state article that we got word that it was, that it was actually coming. Um, and then, you know, when the article came, my, my communications director walked into my office and showed me and my, my, my heart just sank because, you know, this is a nightmare for people, right? Seeing yourself naked just in front of people. I mean, that's a literal nightmare, you know, standing in front of a room naked, but, you know, naked all over the internet. And, um, and suddenly it was just, 
it was just this freezing of like, what do I do? Um, and they made it clear that the that they had these are photos that I didn't even take, by the way, and um, and certainly were released without my consent. And uh, they made it clear that they were just going to keep coming. So you know, I finally my staff were going through so much. There were threats. There were lewd voicemails constantly. You know, the the messages that were coming in. My family was being followed by the media. My um, my sister's business was being trolled. And um, and you know, I was really worried about the effect that I was going to have on my freshman colleagues, especially in these tough races, as we were going into impeachment. I did not want to be the distraction that the Republicans were using uh, to try and take away from from the impeachment of Donald Trump. And so I I guess I, I kind of came to a point uh, where, you know, I felt like I didn't have any choice in terms of making it stop um, aside from resigning. You, uh, in your freshman year, had really been seen, you were a rising star. You were taken under the wing of the speaker, Nancy Pelosi, who was obviously very impressed with you, very fond of you. I'm wondering, um, at what point did you tell her uh, that this could be a problem or that there was something happening? I mean, how much heads up did she get? We told her office um, as soon as we heard that there were, you know, the possibility of these things coming out. Um, so that they had a warning. But again, you know, I think you have a you have a heads up about it, but you also just sort of don't really, I mean, I'm sure her office is, is always prepared for the worst, but um, I just really didn't think, and my staff didn't think that, uh, you know, and, and again, I think also if I had been a more experienced politician, if I had someone who had served elsewhere or who had been in an office longer, um, I might've, you know, I might've, I, I might have been more cynical and, and realized that this was this was a reality and that I needed to be, um, you know, ready for it. But I uh, so we warned her. We warned her right away. Um, but we also, you know, things things escalated. And um, and I had I described that phone call I had with her in my book um, when I had to, when I told her that, you know, I, I felt like I needed to resign. And she tried to tell me that they would have my back and that I didn't need to. Um, but at the end of the day, I still feel I felt like it was the right decision at the time. Yeah, I mean, you talk about that a lot of, you know, this idea that you were it wasn't just yourself and, and this drip that you were anticipating could keep coming, but protecting your family, but also the other members. Um, and I know that members of the squad did come out and speak publicly to defend you. Matt Gates of all people as well, the uh, firebrand Trump supporter from uh, Florida. But can you talk about that consideration? Because like, it seems like in that moment, I mean, you were hurting so much, but you're also still kind of trying to, to, to think about the broader politics, right? Yeah, well, I had been elected as the representative uh, to leadership of the freshman class. And, you know, I was the vice chair of oversight. This was the same time, literally, uh, Elijah Cummings' funeral was the same week that this was all happening. Um, and so I had been, you know, I'd been in the spotlight a lot, as, you know, especially as one of the most outspoken members of the freshman class that was coming from a, a swing state. I mean, sorry, a swing district, right? My, um, the squad are all from safe blue seats. And it's a, just, a, it's a very different consideration for somebody who's, you know, coming from one that flipped uh, from Republican. So, um, you know, since I was in this leadership position, in two different spaces, it was, I was, I was going to be judged and used as an example of so many other people that had nothing to do with what I did and nothing to do with my story at all. And so, you know, I felt like, I felt like I, I couldn't, I couldn't be okay with being a liability um, to all these people that I cared about so much and to, you know, the, the fact that we worked so hard to flip the house and, um, and, 
and everything like that. And we should say that you were, uh, when you got elected, the first openly bisexual member of commerce, uh, commerce of Congress. <laughs> um, and uh, you were in a polyamorous relationship with your then husband and uh, a campaign staffer, Morgan. Um, what happened to her? And, uh, you know, have you had any conversation with her? Because obviously she can't write a book. She doesn't have a podcast. Uh, you know, she, she was a, you know, a, a victim of this as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the, the kind of characterization of the relationship was certainly, um, you know, it played it was it was it was exaggerated and it was um, sensationalized in the media. And I don't I didn't want to get into it then and I don't want to get into it now um, in terms of of the private elements that I feel like were invaded so much uh, already. But, you know, I had a I had a real loving relationship with her and it you, it was inappropriate it was something that i never should have allowed to happen in the first place but um it was real and i and i truly still care about her and i i have the you know the most regret over how this this you know how she was dragged into this in a way that she never should have been um i guess if there's a small uh i, I don't know saving grace of any kind it's that n- just like I wasn't planning on getting into politics, neither was she. And uh, so her career, she's, she's young and her career was never intended on going into politics. So she's, um, she's, she's, her biggest desire is to be able to move on and has been to be able to move on and, and not be, um, you know, part of this conversation. That's why I, n- I never use her name in the book. And fortunately it's been, I, I'm seeing that she's, she's slowly trying, you know, people are le- leaving her out of it a bit more. And I hope that that, um, continues to happen. You gave a really, I think, powerful resignation speech where you called out what you see as, um, you know, this sort of, th- this this campaign against you. I know your ex has said that he was hacked. You believe he leaked these uh, intentionally. Talk a little bit about that speech and, and you know, h- how you wrote it and, and what what's the message that you're really trying to send with that and the book and, all, and what you're doing now? Because I think a lot of people would have just decided to step back from public life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, and I, again, I talk about this in the book, but I, um, as everything was happening and I, you know, was, was, was announcing my resignation and, and going through it all, um, I felt so much shame and uh, regret and, and you know, just the, the humiliation of everything and responsibility that um, I, like so many other women uh, who have been the victims of cyber exploitation, um, contemplated suicide. And it was coming out of that and deciding not to do it that I had to, I had to really wrap my head around, you know, what's the way that I can stand strong and make, make, a, make meaning out of all of this, even though it's going to be incredibly difficult. And so the speech was, was my kind of act of defiance saying, yes, I'm stepping down, um, but I'm going to find a way to continue this fight. And, um, and in, in really the next several months, uh, as I decided to write the book and everything like that, um, I kind of outlined how I plan to do that. And so I started a political action committee called Her Time. I started it out of my reelection campaign funds. And um, it's about how do we get more women elected to Congress and or not just Congress, but all levels of power and uh, in both elected you know, office and, and otherwise. Um, and so we, you know, we're really about supporting women, especially young women and women of color, 
people who are considered these long shot candidates um, and have a hard time typically getting that early support that people need, especially women need to kind of cross that threshold to be considered, you know, viable. Um, when you're talking about people who haven't, who don't come from money, don't come from a political background or, or a political family, it is so hard to raise that initial fund, that, that initial funding. And so her time is about trying to do that. And, um, and so, you know, I, I, I know that my role is not currently as it's not going to be as an elected official, but I think that I can have, you know, a, a, a significant impact um, through this behind the scenes role as a, as a, um, you know, someone who's helping others. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown on KQED Public Radio. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. We're talking with former Congresswoman Katie Hill. She's author of a new book, She Will Rise. I want to ask you about something. I was reading um, your book and you talk about you know, you go through this kind of women's suffrage and, and the history of women in politics and you say you know, gasp, I'm going to say something controversial that women should be elected just for representation's sake, like that having more women, period, is what's necessary. I wonder, I mean, will you support Republican women then? Like, how Like, how do you think about that choice? Because I think that that is something that women, especially on the left, have struggled with in some cases. No, I don't go that far. Um, I think that, <laughs> She's not struggling. Uh, <laughs> I think that, you know, I don't know if there was ever a world in which we had we had no choice but to choose between a Republican man and a Republican woman, then I guess, you know, decent chance I'd say, but you know, you look at this, this QAnon supporter that just got, who just won the, so I should, I, I'm not saying that all, <laughs> that all women are created equal because I mean, if I'm being perfectly blunt and I'm allowed to be more perfectly blunt now than I was before. Um, I don't, I think that women who are supporting the Republican agenda are really traitors to the rest of us and are betraying the things that are um, important for us to be able to achieve true equality. So I, when I say, you know, elect women for women's sake, I'm, I'm talking about people who we can trust their basic values. Um, and, you know, the, the reality is that men have been elected for being men for so long, right? There's that, that's, when we talk about whether a woman's qualified enough or, you know, if she's likable or electable or, or all these different things, you talked about too, being too ambitious for Kamala and that, that whole thing that she went through. Um, these are, these are things that just are not put up against men. I mean, you can, when you have a man who's running, whether he's a businessman or he's been elected before, or he's never been elected, or, you know, he's a, he's been, he's served in the military. All of those things are considered perfectly qualifiable, but you know, a woman has any kind of experience, in, in, and it's considered questionable if she's if she's been in elected office before. Then maybe she's too too much part of the inside. If she's, um, you know, run a nonprofit, then that doesn't count. And so we we just have these kind of internalized things that 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 keep us from um, you know from from pushing forward and supporting women. And I don't think that changes until we really collectively say. No, this has to be a priority, and and we're not represented. We're, we're represented at about half of what we should be. Every single elected body has, you know, twenty five percent, or roughly twenty five percent of women that make it up, and we make up half the population. Well, so and it's amazing we, how many other countries, countries you would never expect, have half yeah. of their legislature is yeah. uh, is female. Yeah, you Afghanistan know, has better representation. Exactly, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Uh, you know, I'm wondering. You know, one could easily see what happened to you as a disincentive for women and other people, but women in particular to run for office, you know, do you worry about that? And, you know, what did, what did all that 
say and what do you think, uh, what, what does it uh, mean for women who run and maybe, you know, for Kamala Harris, who's trying to break, you know, not quite the ultimate glass ceiling, but pretty close? Yeah, well, I um one of the big reasons that I decided that I can't just go away, I can't disappear entirely is because I I have been so worried and was from the, you know, from, from the time that everything started happening about what happened to me being a deterrent for other women. Because, you know, the reality is that every part of your private life and those of us who are young and who grew up online um, and, uh, you know, all of us can be, um, can be targeted for that. And women especially are vulnerable to it, especially being, it being used in a, a sexualized and, and hyper uh, focused kind of way to um, to use against us, and so I I said okay I can't I can't go away entirely, and I need to show that um, that this doesn't destroy me right, and um, so the it, I'm often asked like what advice do I give to other women who are thinking about it, and my my advice honestly is that we're we're in a place where we are fighting every single day, we're, whether we like it or not, we're involved in battles. One in four women experiences some kind of sexual violence over the course of her lifetime. Equal pay is something that we're nowhere near achieving. Um, you know, uh, just so many, so many basic things that we should be able to expect. We're not there yet, despite the fact that it's been a hundred years since we were granted the right to vote. And, um, and so what I say is that we're here, we're getting scarred anyway. And if what happened to me is basically the worst that could happen, um, figure, you know, think, think about that and think about wh- how you would handle it and what you would have done differently in my situation. And, um, and I hope that the circumstances surrounding mine, uh, actually I think have galvanized people so that the next time pictures come out of, uh, of a, of a woman, you know, that are used against her, uh, in elected office, I think that it, she will not feel the same kind of pressure to resign. And I think people will rally around her, um, even more than they did with mine. I mean, what, how are you feeling watching, you know, Kamala get this, uh, you know, get this nod and really a lot of energy we're seeing, but so much uncertainty too about how things can, will go in November. Like, are you optimistic? Do you feel like things, like as Scott said at the beginning, like there is more accountability for those of us in the media in terms of the language we're using and the way we're talking about this stuff? I absolutely do. Um, I think that, you know, we saw that the group of, or, or the, yeah, the collection of organizations that wrote the letter to the open letter to the media saying that we're watching you and we're going to, um, you know, we are going to call out this sexism when we see it. Um, and it's, hap- you know, it happens on the, on, in the mainstream media, it happens on the left, it happens on the right. And um, I think that we've seen, you know, we saw what happened with Hillary and how much of the sexism was coming from across the board and how that really, I think, impacted the results of the 2016 election. So, my hope is that you know that that does pan out in a different way, but we have to be vigilant about calling it out everywhere we see it. Um, we need to be supportive. We need to reflect on our own you know initial reactions to things and and um, and how we're how we're how we're talking about women differently, how we're going to be talking about her differently um, than we would about uh, if it was a guy who was you know in the VP slot. You uh, have, by nature, what happened with you had to be very open about some very intimate personal things. And you've also had some tragedies in your family. Your brother uh, died of an overdose in January, I think, just as you were at home helping your mom who was having brain surgery. I mean, that's a lot to deal with. Um, How are you doing now? And, uh, you know, how do you, you're still living in Washington, which is uh, a surprise. I mean, many people might want to get the heck out of there and, uh, you know, go someplace a little healthier in terms of, you know, mental yeah. health. Yeah. 
Um, it's been a hell of a year, that's for sure. Um, it was, I, what happened with my mom and with my brother uh, really, actually, I think, put things into perspective with the other aspects of it, right? Um, because you think the worst has happened and then um, and then it gets worse and you realize that, you know, uh, you have to you have to treasure every moment and you have to make what you do have count. Um, but I'm you know I'm I'm it's a it's a process and for me dedicating dedicating my energy and my time to a, a cause that's important to me is part of that recovery. Um, staying in Washington, I I actually had a really hard time being back in the district um, because I felt such a responsibility to the people in the district, it felt so hard. You know, I, the, the, the trauma of the divorce and leaving this abusive relationship was a big part of it too. So I'd, I'd spent my whole life there. The, the memories were, were, I guess, tarnished with all of these other things that were really hard to confront on a day-to-day -day basis. People knew me there. Everywhere I went, someone recognized me. And even if they, even if they were supportive, they'd come up to you and say, I'm so sorry for what happened to you. You shouldn't have resigned. You just, you're just confronted with it constantly. Whereas here in Washington, people know me, but like scandals happen every minute. <laughs> You're and old like, news. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm old news. And, um, and so, but I'm also like, I have, I've had the ability to use the connections and the relationships that I formed while I was a member of Congress and in running uh, for, you know, for a positive reason and, and to build this pack and to help it you know, and I think it's just going to carry over as as we get you know further and further. Um, but to help other people get elected and to to help advocate for these policies um, that we lay out in the book and and that's effectively a battle plan for how do we get to true equality. So you know, being here, I think has been and and I go back. I, I if it weren't for quarantine, I'd be back in California a lot more um, to be with my family. But I'm going back later this month, and um, you know, I, I certainly still consider California my home, but it. I think this has been a, it's been a good place for me to recover kind of counterintuitively. All right. Well, we're going to leave it there. Um, we really appreciate your time and openness and honesty. Katie Hill, she is the author of the new book, She Will Rise. Thanks for coming. Thanks so much. Thanks. So, thank you. That's going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer is Guy Marzarotti. Our engineer is Jim Bennett. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Lindsay, Vinnie Tong, Erica Aguilar, and Jonathan Blakely. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter at MLagos. Thanks for listening and stay safe. Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California, the land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.